You're listening to the New City Church Podcast. These episodes are recorded live on Gadigal land. Sometimes the audio quality might not be perfect because what you're listening to is a conversation. We don't edit out the chatter and we think that's what makes it authentic. Wherever you're tuning in from, we hope you find this episode encouraging. Um, well, once again, welcome. Uh, welcome to New City, particularly if... Oh, can I move this? Is that okay? Thanks. I was kind of like asking everyone at that point, like anyone got any objections? Um, just getting the stool. Um, for those I haven't met, my name is Joel. Uh, we are indeed in the last week of Jonah. Um, thank you, Lindsay, for that introduction. And I want to honour that and where you're at because that is such a perfect way to just begin how we think about Jonah um, as we authentically approach God. Um, My hope for tonight is um, that we would leave here a little bit more willing to approach God with everything. That, that, that is where I think um, I'm sitting in, in this story at this point. And that's what I want to offer tonight. Uh, we're going to do something a little bit creative. Um, if that gets your blood rushing, don't stress. It's going to be quite structured. It will all be uh, revealed in due time. Uh, I'm going to invite anyone who would like to share a couple of things to share. Um, and uh, we, we record all of these uh, gatherings If you would like to speak but not speak into the microphone, you're welcome to do that. If you would like to speak into the microphone and then have it erased from the uh, podcast, like you never existed, we can also do that. Um, But we are jumping into the end of the book of Jonah. Next slide. That one. Well done. You're amazing. Um, This one. We have been four weeks in this book. Um, We've spoken a lot about how it's satire. It's supposed to hold a mirror up to us. The first week we looked at the idea that God has this outrageous amount of love for this city, Nineveh. And Jonah, our protagonist, he's pissed off at Nineveh for good reason. Because Assyria, of which dinner is the capital, have come in and wiped out Israel. It's devastation. Okay, that, that's, that's the setting. And yet God loves Nineveh. That's, that's what we sat with in week one. Week two, we discussed this idea of running from God and how so often it's futile, but really quite understandable a lot of the time. So that was, that was week two. Last week, we looked at behind enemy lines. What does it look like to interact with people who have hurt us, people who hold very different views to us? We, we sat in that space. And tonight, we tie it all together with this idea of uh, crying out to God. What does it mean for you in your situation at this point to cry out to God? Uh, and for that, we're going to dive into Jonah chapter 2. Uh, This is the the chapter that we've kind of skipped over multiple times. We've never actually landed there. We've read the rest of the story together, but I don't know if you noticed, we skipped chapter two quite deliberately because I think this is where we get to the crux of how we apply it to us today. So can we get that passage up on the screen? Here's Jonah chapter two. Um, My big question for you as you read this passage is, did Jonah repent? Did Jonah repent? As, as we read through this, do, do you get the impression that Jonah repented of what he did? So I'm going to read it out for us. Um, feel free to, to read along or sit and listen, take some breaths. 
Um, and, and I'll ask that question again afterwards. Here we go. Jonah chapter 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to Yahweh, his God. He said, in my distress, I called out to the Lord and the Lord answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet, I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. It gets a bit dramatic, by the way. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Yahweh, my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. Okay. What do we reckon? Is Jonah apologetic for what he's done at this point? What do you reckon? Who says, who says yes? Um, Jonah clearly recognises that he's done the wrong thing in running away to Nineveh, uh, to, to Joppa, and he should have gone to Nineveh. He recognises it. Who, who says that Jonah is feeling a bit guilty here? Who says that they're, they're, there's not much of an apology in this? I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you actually on that one. Most people, when they read this song that says at the center of the book of Jonah, most sermons I've heard on it growing up were using this as a way to call out to God, as a way to say, okay, I'm going to declare that salvation is from the Lord. I will look on your temple again. I will praise you. Even though I'm in the depths, I will praise you. Um, I am putting out a theory today, and it's not my theory, by the way, I didn't come up with this. Um, I'm putting out a theory that what we read in Jonah chapter 2 is a load of trash. That, that's, that's the theory that I want to put out there. Um, and I want, I, he, hear me out, I want to wrestle with this idea and see how it sits. I could be totally wrong. Um, I actually had to write an essay in my, my theology studies, Does Jonah Repent? And back then I said, yes, I, I think he does repent according to the storyline that goes on. But as I sat with it now and kind of having thought through trauma and thought through what apology looks like, I don't think he did. And so I want to unpack it a little bit, starting with a couple of premises. Number one is Jonah sucks at being a prophet. That's our premise number one. Um, we saw that in Kings when Jonah makes a prophecy that says, yeah, go and attack because Israel's awesome. And all the true prophets were like, no, no, no. You need to like think about justice here and doing good. Um, and Jonah's prophecy ends up getting overruled by Amos. So we already know that Jonah is... A, 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 a crappy prophet. That, that's kind of where he sits in the, the arc of the Bible. Um, but then also, I think there's some things within this text which just don't make sense unless there is satire involved. 
So let, let me walk you through a couple of grating moments that I find in this passage, uh, this, this song that I think we don't want to emulate. Okay. This, this, you're with me so far? Jonah is a load of trash. Um, <laughs> verse one, in my distress, I called to the Lord. Okay, there, there's my first question. Um, when did you call to the Lord? When, when did that happen? And, and maybe it wasn't recorded, um, but we certainly don't get the impression that Jonah called out to the Lord. In fact, we get we get the impression that rather than calling out to the Lord, when the Hebrews, when, when the sailors said, cry out to your God, maybe your God will save us, they, they invite Jonah in chapter one to cry out to the Lord. He doesn't do that. Instead, he says, no, 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 throw me in the water as though that is a viable alternative. He desperately does not want to face God. Boom, boom. There's the irony of this whole situation that Chris just pointed out. Jonah doesn't cry out to God. The sailors cry out to God. So from the very, very first line of this prayer, crying out to God, Jonah is pulling a porky. He, he didn't cry out to God. Uh, but let, let's keep going through. Uh, from the deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. You listened to my cry. Verse three, you hurled me into the depths. Is that true? Is it true that Yahweh hurled Jonah into the depths of the ocean? Is that true? No, no, it is patently a lie. Um, Again, Jonah had every opportunity to cry out to God. He was invited, cry out to God. But Jonah said, no, 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 I'm going to jump in. And the sailors hurl him over. God did not hurl Jonah into the water. That is, again, it's a lie. Jonah has fooled himself into thinking that he's the victim in this situation. All your waves and breakers swept over me. We're getting dramatic here. Uh, We're we're, we're punching up the rhetoric. Uh, But I want to reiterate, this isn't God's fault at this point. Jonah. It's not God's fault that you are here in this situation. Verse four, I said, I said, Jonah, I said, me, Jonah, I said to God, I have been banished from your sight. True, no, no, okay, yeah, true or not true? No, it's not true. Uh, Jonah was never banished from God's sight. That, That did not happen. God never said, away from me. That's not part of the text not what happens in the storyline. Yet I will look again, verse four, toward your holy temple. Now I want to put a question mark over that because it might be true. Maybe he is. But I want to also point out that Jonah wasn't called to look upon the temple. Jonah was asked to go to Nineveh. And instead of saying, I will come and I will follow you and I will go to Nineveh, Jonah says, I will look upon the temple. I will situate myself in Israel where it's safe. I'm going to look upon the temple again. Verse 5, the engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed wrapped around my... I just love that picture. Don't know if it's true or not, but you know, it's, it's, there's some great imagery there. Um, verse 7, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Yahweh, and my prayer rose to you. 
to your holy temple. I, I wonder if at this point there's a little bit of false piety going on. Uh, there's this false notion of I'm doing such a good job here because when it got rough, I prayed to you. That, that's my question mark at this point in the prayer. Am I riling anyone up the wrong way? Because this is not what most preachers would say at this point about a text in Scripture. Like, um, there's a, But I, I think this is what we're supposed to see when, when we read the book of Jonah, this satire. Verse 8, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Chris has already pointed out the only idol worshippers in this story so far are the sailors, and they're the ones who are actually crying out to praise Yahweh. We keep going into the city of Nineveh, who don't just cling to worthless idols, they're railing against the God of Israel. And yet, by the end of the story, they're the ones who have clung hold of God's love for them. There's this reversal that takes place. Uh, The ones who cling to worthless idols are actually the ones who are holy in God's sight who understand God's love. Jonah hasn't got that yet. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, says Jonah, will sacrifice to you. Again, could be true, but I'm just, like, I just doubt it at this point. I just, I just don't like Jonah. Um, maybe I'm a bit biased. Um, and then it ends with this wonderful phrase, what I vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And so we get the impression that Jonah has finally agreed. I'll go to Nineveh and I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Is that what Jonah does? No. Again, patently, no. Jonah gets to Nineveh, and what does he say? God's going to destroy you. And he never actually vowed to go there in the first place. You're right, he kind of ended up there because there was no way he was getting out of it. And and so you get this idea that everything that is said within this prayer as he cries out to God is, uh, it's a bit of a smokescreen, I think, for what's really going on. He will not go to Nineveh and proclaim salvation comes from the Lord. That, That will not happen in the rest of the narrative. To be clear, salvation does come from the Lord, but that's not where Jonah's at at this point. Now, given all of the narrative, the context that I've just been harping on about so much around Assyria and Israel and breakdown and trauma, all of that, I want to ask what's missing from this prayer? Because there's a lot of, I praise you. There's a lot of, you rescue me. There's a lot of seaweed wrapped around my head. Uh, There's a lot of you are good, but there's no, this is really hard. My, My life, my people, my family, my country, it's been destroyed. We've been obliterated, God. God, I don't trust you. God, I'm I'm confused about where you're sending me. God, I disagree. God, this isn't 
a good move. I can't go to Nineveh because it's dangerous. There's, there's none of that. Which in the narrative and considering the context of it all, that feels like a glaring omission. Surely somebody in that dire strait should come before God and say, but, but no, jo- Jonah, dodgy prophet that he is, uh, he's not only demonstrating what it means to lie to God, I think also as we look into this mirror of Jonah's life, we're also supposed to see what it means to not come before God at all. I don't think that Jonah is offering up an authentic prayer at this point. Is it possible, this is, this is, this is what I'm playing with, uh, is it possible that the big question of Jonah 2 is this? Do we approach God authentically or do we use scripture, religion, sacrament, sacrifice as a smokescreen for piety? That's, that's the question I want to wrestle with and sit in as we move forward. Because here's something cool. Almost everything that Jonah says in that prayer is not original. Almost everything that Jonah says in that text comes straight from a book of the Bible called the Psalms. He's just quoting psalm after psalm after psalm. It's kind of like the equivalent of me saying, shout to the Lord, all the earth let us sing every day. It's you I live for. And going on this big mashup of popular Christian songs that many of you will know, but I just say it. No, please don't. <laughs> I could go for a long time. Uh, and I sing it and I proclaim it and I look like I'm living it. But in my heart, I'm not there. I'm not there. Jonah chapter 2. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. Check out Psalms 4, 17. 54, verse 2, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. He answered me out of the belly of Sheol. Psalm uh, Psalm 18 says, in my distress, I called out to the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. Jonah 3, you cast me into the deep. Psalm 88, 6, you have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions of the dark depths. There's... A mimicking of language that goes on right through this this prayer that Jonah offers up. And I want to suggest that he is offering up his own psalm to God. He's taking these words, these rituals that are a core part of his culture and identity, and he's offering them up as words, but he's hiding behind them. What do you reckon? Maybe? Maybe? Like there's some merit to it, um, and I think in a, an age that we currently live in where authenticity is key, we can see through the bull a little bit, and I wonder if that's the lens that, that we bring to it as people who have not been able to live authentically or have been told that we're not allowed to believe certain things or act certain ways. And so when we want to come to God, how do we do it? How do we do it? How do we cry out to God in a way that 
is authentic. Because I, I want to suggest that God loves it when we actually approach God and we say, this sucks. This is really tough. This isn't what I signed up for. This is hard. And God, it kind of feels like it's your fault. I think God loves it when we do that. Okay. Take a breath. Take, um, take a couple of deep breaths and sit with some of what we've covered so far. Um, because I, I'm about to reveal what we're going to do that's creative. Uh, again, for those of you who don't like creativity, don't worry, there's lots of structure. I'll talk you through it. But for those who love being creative, you can kind of just go off on your own and journey into the depths. Um, may seaweed entangle you. Um, we are, we're going to uh, jump into a, a little activity called Write Your Own Psalm. Whoa, whoa, um, radical. I wrote a little thing down there. You're awesome. Enjoy reading that. Um, uh, we're going to write our own psalm. Um, Walter, do you want to do some handing out of paper for me? Thank you. Um, you can either use paper, um, and there's some pens here as well to hand out. That's for you. Beck, do you want to hand out some pens maybe? Um, so you, you can either write it out in, uh, on paper if that's your jam, or if you prefer writing on your phone, you're also welcome to do that. Um, we, we're going to get into it. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of creative writing. Who here loved English at school? Brilliant. Um, uh, who here hated English at school? A few people. We have a, we have a few haters. Um, the door is up. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, this, we're we're going to make poets out of you yet. This is, um, this is a, a Write Your Own Time workshop. Um, I'm going to go through the elements of, of Psalms at this point uh, and show you what's in some. Um, has everyone got paper, still some going around? Um, if there's anyone online, you're also please, uh, you're welcome to jump in and write a Psalm. Um, Brian is currently looking after the desk, so she might share your Psalm at the end, potentially. Ooh. Um, uh, as you're getting yourself set up, I'll just kind of keep talking. Um, there's a bunch of elements within most psalms. If you break them down, these are kind of what typically pops up in psalms. There's an address and introductory cry. That's where you identify the Lord as the person to whom the psalm is addressed. So you might say, O Lord, God of Israel. There you go. There you go. There's the first line of your psalm if you want it. Take it. Um, creativity is just the art of stealing ideas and putting them together. Lament, articulate the problem and ask the Lord for help. It might be, God, I have gone to the bottom of the ocean and you threw me here. It might be, God, I am tired of X, Y, Z. There's a lament, there's a cry of the heart, an existential moment where your heart meets God's heart and you cry, what's going on here? There's a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations. God loves a good lament. Um, Sometimes there is a confession of trust. Um, but you, God, I, I know you are good. I know that you are there. I know that you are present. So you, you might confess. You are here. Sometimes there's a prayer for deliverance, requesting that God might intervene in a moment. 
And finally, praise, offering praise and thanksgiving to God for God's blessing. So I remember that you have saved my people is a a common one within the Psalter. Um, I remember that you are a good God who delights in compassion, some sort of element of praise. Now, here's the thing. Most Psalms don't have all the elements. Um, In fact, there's a bunch of Psalms that pretty much just sit in lament. Um, And if you read Psalm 88, it's so depressing um, the, the psalmist never actually gets around to saying, God, you're good. The whole thing is just like, well, this is a bit shit. And that, that's it. That, that's the whole psalm. And that's offered to us as a holy way of approaching God. You're allowed to do that. You know, that, that is a valid way of writing a psalm. Psalms, if I just go back a little bit, uh, psalms are songs. Sometimes they're sung communally and the, the pronouns are in plural, so we come before you, a lot of the times kind of counter to a lot of the rest of Scripture, it's very individual. Uh, it's, it's I, and often we see those in David's Psalms because David is crying out to God as an individual. So it might be that you write a communal psalm. It might be that you're going to write a, an individual psalm for yourself. Uh, I can already see some people are just like charging away and like two thirds of it is written. We haven't even done the activity yet, Um, but that's okay. You're allowed to. I said you could. Um, uh, Pull out your phones um, because I'm going to show a QR up on the screen. Loving these QRs. Um, And I want you to answer this question on the QR. You'll go to a little, it's called a menti, which is where you get to answer some questions. And I want you to answer the question or finish the sentence rather, God is like a dot, dot, dot. God is like a, and this is one to get our creative juices flowing, uh, pulling out a good simile, um, and also to help those who might be in the room who are like, I don't know, what is God like? I don't, what are words? Um, so it's to, to get those creative juices flowing. God is like, you, you have the option to answer, I think, a few times, but you can answer as many times as you want. Um, and in a moment, we're going to get those up on the screen. God is like a. Take, take some deep breaths as you go through. I always think if there's pressure, creativity doesn't flow. But um, take some time. In your experience, what is God like? I also, if I'm being honest, knowing this room like, as I do, would be very surprised if we get to the next slide and everything is positive. I I think if you're being honest, there's going to be some question marks there about what God is like. Do we truly believe God is good, present? Is God distant, enigmatic? God is like a vapor that I really struggle to pin down. That's how I'd often answer that question. The next one that you're going to answer is God is. This is a bit different. God is like or God is. Let's have a look and see what some of the answers are. What did people come up with? God is like an irregular fraction. (laughs) Ah, Yeah. 
Not a maths nerd, no idea. Um, God is like a quiet Sunday. God is like a guardian. God is like an empty whisperer. God is like an elusive lover. Oh, like a Rubik's Cube. That's cool. God is like a much-needed nap. That's good. Uh, A vast ocean, a sky full of stars, a shadow. God is like a universe, a rock. These are all ideas that in this space you are saying, this is what God is like. When I, when I think about God, this is who or how I understand God to be. Um, this, is, this is what I feel like when I approach God. You can take any of these and weave them into the psalm that you're going to write. So jot down a couple that might stand out for you if, if you're feeling particularly like any, any jump out. Um, and then if we go to the next slide, Bryony, I think you can just click next. The next one is, I'll get you to start thinking about it, God is. Um, so next you're going to use adjectives. So these are all nouns. They are, they're all things. Uh, we're using similes to, extra, to describe God. Next you're going to use adjectives. So God is big. God is confusing. God is unjust. We've already got a couple up there. And as you write those words, they'll pop up. God is in others. God is complex, authentic. God is beyond, extravagant, powerful, listening, frustratingly elusive, God is the divine in each of us, gentle. God is a responder. God is contradicting, an initiator. There's some good words up there. You're welcome to to keep adding up to that list and and also taking from that list whatever jumps out to you as, as something that is sitting with you. As you take those in, here's one to ponder just on your own piece of paper if you find space. What feelings do you associate with God right now? Not, not three years ago, um, or not what do you hope you might associate with God? What, what feelings do you associate with God right now? Another one to maybe jot down on your paper if you find space. Uh, What do you want from God? What do you want from God at this point in your life? Another one you might jot down. I praise you because... Dot, dot, dot. Or the answer might be, I don't praise you because dot, dot, dot. 
I think the key as we create our own Jonah, belly in the whale psalm, as we take from all of these different inspirational pieces around us, the key is to not do what Jonah did in hiding behind a smoke screen of piety. The key is to approach God and offer up an honest assessment of where you are at. Do we have enough fodder to work with at this point? Zan is like, oh, yeah, I've got so much. (laughs) Uh, um, Look, your psalms don't have to be the next ARIA reward winners. Uh, Your psalms can be simple, can be two lines. Your psalm could be pages worth by the time you get home tonight. Uh, Your psalm is yours. I'm going to actually, Thomas, can we put on a little bit of music perhaps in the background, some chill music, because I'm going to give you five minutes just to sit with your piece of paper, your words. You can go for a wander if you need to, um, and I'm going to call you back in five minutes. But in that time, I want you to look at what you've written, maybe in Menti, look at what other people have written, and come up with some sort of way of approaching God using words for yourself. Um, And at the end of it, uh, I am going to ask if anyone would like to share... uh, I, I know I would be very blessed if people shared what they wrote. It doesn't have to be. I started with a rhyme structure and then left it at the end, but God, why does so much hurt? Why am I constantly down in the dirt? Why does hope only come in fits and spurts when I need you so much? You've said that you are hope but I am at the end of my rope and I don't know if I can cope with this anymore. Where am I supposed to go? I fear that I don't know. Just keep moving slow. It's all I can do. You promised life to the full, but I feel like I'm barely living. Joy, life, hope. All seem so distant, and I don't know where to from here. Thank you, Bren. Anyone else have anything they'd like to share, even if it's just a line? Lord, I feel purpose in your presence. At times I've grown distant. I take myself to the ocean. In awe, I feel you again. In the wind, in the sun, I feel free in your love. You guide me, my landing place, my warm hug. Thank you, Lord, time and time again, back to me and you, dancing on the sand in freedom. Um, God who is kind, God who loves and cares for us all, see our weary hearts, our heavy burdens and the pain in our hearts. We grapple with layers of suffering and hurt in this broken world. Please see us, love us, hold us gently, hold us with loving kindness and guide us toward compassion. 
please, God, lead us to healing and help us care for each other um, the way that you would care for us. The shadow hovering that I mistook for darkness to fear and cower in was actually the cloak of God's hem. I wanted comfort and safety, ran from the shadow over my head, but it was a shield, like an eagle's silhouette. So I looked down at this shadow, heavy and weighted now to my feet, this shadow that's always following me, that I feared the dark, feared the vulnerability of light too. Um, so befriend the cloud that is casting shapes on the hills. Befriend the wind that moves them. Befriend your breath. Befriend yourself and the one who knows you well. To the Lord of my Auntie Kylie and my Persian mother, Mariam. To the Lord who shaped and formed me. To the Lord who used to hold me safe as I looked at a scary world. Who was a kinder master than any I had met before. You became a refugee and you looked, you, I thought you loved refugees. You helped me value reckless hospitality, but I've become overwhelmed. You helped me to value unity amongst your people but now stress runs through my veins. I don't praise you because I feel foolish for ever having trusted you. And I still live in a scary world with such darkness and horrible systems that churn through people and communities like a meat grinder. How am I supposed to face it with hope? O divine source of life and love, encompassing dust below and skies above, your presence moves and the world is undone, reconstructed into equity, reconciled into one. Some who love you abuse your name, hijack resources, people for their own gain. The scales feel heavy sometimes, your life and love left behind. Come, please come. Lift the mountain and throw it into the sea. Sincere prayers you promised you would hear our plea. Lift, move, hear. God, I'm embarrassed to love you. I am shy with your love the same way I might be quiet about a crush. But when it bubbles over because the feelings are huge and will not be contained on the inside of my teeth, I am queasy and my knees shake. There is a vulnerability to loving you now, and I do love you. But that love used to feel shared and acceptable. Now it's harder to love you. 
So many of my friends have been hurt by their ideas of you, how people have talked about you. Your reputation is sullied. And when we walk together, it doesn't feel like walking in the garden. It's more like walking down the halls of middle school. The eyes on us say that we're an odd couple and that you, divine creator of the universe, and me, queer, backslidden scholar who went too far in their pursuit of knowledge and is bound for hell, aren't meant to be. Others think I'm sold out for you, that I'm blind in your love and giving up parts of me to be with you, but it's not like that when I'm actually with you, when I forget what it looks like to other people. I really just love you, and I feel loved for all of me. When the other voices come in, I feel like I accommodate their views, so please just sit with me here and let me know, not in words but in presence, that I am okay, that it's all just going to be okay. I'm not sure how to interact with you in public or how to speak about you to others in a way that feels true to my experience of you, but just sit with me and let me know that it'll be okay. What a creative group we have. <clears throat> Friends, that brings us to the end of our time in Jonah. Um, I invite you where you're at, take a few deep deep breaths. We recognize that for many of us, we are in the depths. We recognize that for many of us, we are in heights. We come in all different places. We come from all different journeys. The book of Jonah reminds us that there is a God of extravagant love who is at work in this world, this world of hurt and pain. The book of Jonah reminds us that we are called to bring about God's love, to be prophets of a new kingdom in which Jesus is king, in which justice flows like a river, in which all find refuge and life. The book of Jonah reminds us that sometimes even prophets run. The book of Jonah reminds us that God is the God of Jonah's, the screw-ups, the stuff-ups, the ones who dropped the ball. The book of Jonah reminds us that God loves the Assyrians. The book of Jonah reminds us that we have a God at work. Amen. <laughs>